0: So Jim told me is that you got through verse 12. He sent me an email about that. Does that sound right to you at all? Uh, verse 12 of 1 Peter. I've got all my sheets here. So forgive me, I'm a little discombobulated. I had to play piano today, and so I got all my stuff all mixed together. And so I'm a little bit off that way. I played some Brahms today. So for those of you who are at the early service, I hope that was at least not too much of an indulgence for you. Um, uh, that was just something a little different that's normally not played, so I thought to kind of do that today. And so, um, I so if he got through verse twelve, and this is why I was a little confused because he said this to me. Verse twelve was in four, which is why I handed out lesson four. So if you're okay with that, I'm going to kind of start that today a little bit, and then if he wants to kind of fill in the gaps or if he forgot something or whatever, we'll just go from there. Okay,
1: he said we were done with three and just start.
0: Four. Yeah, and just start four. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm kind of doing here, um, just kind of moving things forward. So it has the beginning of this um, with First Peter two eleven through three through seven. I'll just put my Bible back. Put my Bible back. Yes. So actually since I don't feel like talking as much, if somebody want to pull up uh 1 Peter 2:11 and then uh go ahead and start reading that and read through the end of the chapter. So chapter 1 Peter 2:11 and just read through.
2: Sure. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers of the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day he visits us submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right for it is god's will that by doing good you should Silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
0: All right, that's a, that's a big chunk, and of course he puts a lot in there. We probably won't finish all of this. But this passage involving the civil authorities is one that's a real interesting in our climate because there's a lot of questions you can ask because he says obey the king. Well, we don't have a king. So what does that mean? You know, like so people get a little interesting. Does it mean the president? Does it mean the constitution? Does it mean the governor? Does it mean all ruling authorities? You know, you'll have people that'll kind of work through this text a little bit because the idea of a kind of what did Abe Lincoln say? government of the people by the people for the people. That's not exactly something Peter had in mind when he wrote this probably. Probably safe to say. So this can get a little interesting when it comes to interpreting things um, in our context in kind of a twenty-first century Republican democracy. It's a little bit odd to kind of think through that. So um, I'll get to that in a second. But I just want to show you that this is a text where it's hard to teach from it because we're in such politically charged um, uh, times where people, are, everything's politicized, right? Everything's politicized. And everything's politicized, you get this passage, and you're like. I'd rather not talk about that one. Let's go to the next part. <laughs> because it is, it's hard to, but it's here, and we have to deal, and we're supposed to teach the whole council of God, and so we'll, we'll get through some of that. The first part, though, and it's a good reminder because this leads into the civil authorities thing. So in your Bible, you might have headings under these. Remember the original for 1 Peter had no headings, had no chapter numbers, had no verse numbers. The original is just a gigantic run-on sentence of Greek. And so these headings and these organizers are good for us because it helps us to focus in on certain sections of text or it helps us to make references. One of the reasons we have verse numbers is scholars got together and said, hey, um, in order for us to communicate effectively, especially in the bigger books, like say Isaiah, we should have chapter numbers and verse numbers so you can actually know what I'm talking about, as opposed to oh, he referenced Isaiah, and now i got to find where in the world he is in Isaiah, and it takes forever to find it, and then it's like, oh, he's, he's here, and so it's just really, really kind of unwieldy, so scholars, in the mi- Middle Ages in particular, started adding chapters and verses, mostly just so we could make easy references, um, and, and so, but there, remember that those verses and the uh, chapters and the headings and the paragraphs, it's easy for us to read, and it makes everything very clear, but the original didn't have those, which means that sometimes you've got to go back a few verses or forward a few verses to kind of see what uh, Peter's whole argument is. We kind of lose that sometimes. Okay, So in this case, he starts, dear brothers and sisters, now in the Bible that I have here, and I'm borrowing from Katie because I left mine in the other room, uh, it says, dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. Those are the two terms, so if you're filling your outline out in number one, what does he want to remember about ourselves, those descriptive terms, that we, this is not our, our permanent home. That's his point here. This is not where we're going to stay forever. We're not going to be here. And this is not our final destination. We are sojourners. We are aliens. And he's made that point all the way back in chapter one all also. But you might have other translations as well. Foreigners, aliens, sojourners. Um, you might have something else Strangers. too. Strangers. Yeah, there we go. In other words... You're, you obviously, you don't belong here. This is not where you're meant to be in the long run. So while you're here, what does that look like? That's kind of the, the implication. So since you're strangers here, how do you act in terms of civil society and just in general? Okay, so he starts with that in number one. And then number two, what does Peter tell us we need to watch out for while we live on earth? What does he say in verse 11?
1: Of uh, uh, fleshly lusts, mm-hmm. um, uh, things that... Um, uh, war against the soul. Yeah, it says evil
0: desires, fleshly lust would be another example. Those things that are kind of, we call that that's, that sin nature that wants to war against us, we could also include in there temptations that come from both internal and external temptations. Some temptations well up within, some like we try to think of those things. The one I like to say is, have you ever, have any of you ever had noticed that sometimes when you dream that you sin while you're dreaming? <laughs> you ever had that happen to you? Like you make the wrong decision while you're dreaming. Isn't that kind of weird? And so it's like, it's not like you're planning to sin. And yet all of a sudden you're dreaming and you wake up and you're like, what am I doing? Why was that even in my head? You know, it's like am I really that screwed up? You know, you know, that's it's weird to think those things, but it's true, that kind of sin nature. So some of it comes from within, and then some of it also is external, whether it's peer pressure, or you could even say spiritual warfare, demonic presences, whatever it is. You've got lots of things around you that put pressure on you, and a lot of the external things sometimes will appeal to those internal things that you already have. And so what Peter is saying here, he's basically saying To, you know, keep away from evil desires. That does not mean that you're saving yourself. Remember that. That's very clear. We're, you know, very Lutheran in that way. It's not because you're doing it to earn your salvation. You're doing it because you're a child of God and you want to please your Lord. You're doing it to persevere in your baptism. You're revisiting your baptism. You know, if God's placed his name on you and he's done that for you and you do this in response to him, well, then, yeah, you're probably going to be a little different. Right? It's probably going to change your life. We call that sanctification. Justification is being declared not guilty. God's like court of law, right? Not guilty. I see the blood of Jesus instead. And then sanctification is that constant process by which God makes us more like him. And so when Peter writes like this, this has more to do, if we wanted to be technical, it sounds more like sanctification, right? The idea of being made more holy. Because just earlier in this passage, he says that, right? He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, or a people set apart that's a holy people. Okay, so that happens just earlier in this chapter. So in that context, it's like, now how do you live um, a life that's pleasing to God? So that's your context for this, okay? All right, just throwing that out there. So what comes to mind then, and this is on your handout, when you hear the phrase passions of the flesh? What comes to your mind?
1: For me, it would be my attitudes, actions, words, thoughts, deeds. It would be uh, the things in my heart. Okay. Firm For myself.
0: Right. Anybody else want to add to that? When you hear passions of the flesh, what comes to your mind? Or do we not want to say because it makes us feel guilty? Right? Yeah. Okay. There we go. We'll be honest. Yes, that's actually my response. Is when I hear this, I think of sexual sin. That's my, you know, where it's or we just to say the word lust, right? Um, but yes, I absolutely think that that's part of this. And he's writing to uh, a church that's in what we would call the Greco-Roman world, and their views on sexuality in some areas were very screwed up that um, you had, uh, I mean, there's just, I'll just say it that way. I don't even go through all the details. But in the Greco-Roman world, depending on where uh, P- uh, Peter's readers are reading this, I guarantee you they're going to think the same thing. Because the Greco-Roman world, basically everything was available. All options were on the table. Um, and it was not, uh, it was odd, because we have kind of an odd view in the United States. Um, we kind of think in dichotomies. So it's like either you're a drunk or you don't drink at all. Or you engage in bad sexual behavior or you're like a Puritan. Right. You get what I'm saying? Like in the United States, we have this weird kind of attitude towards things where we, kind of, we do this. In, uh, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, it's just like all options are available. There's no, right, there's, no, uh, there's no like you are meant to be this way or that way. Just whatever floats your boat at that moment works. It goes. Okay? Now, not all of them engaged in that. Many of their philosophers said that we are better than animals and we shouldn't be doing those things. But the average person on the street, especially in the temple cults and stuff like that, it got a little screwed up. So when Peter's talking about this, I do think that one of the things he's talking about, no, it could be other things like Steve's talking about. It could be just, it could be passions in general. It could be not, not just lustful passions, the desires of the flesh that way, but it could also be anger. It could also be um, jealousy and rage and all these other things that we can talk about. Those are certainly included, but I do think that there is an element of that where you're sinning against your own body where that makes a big, that makes a big difference for folks. Okay, um, so that's one. Any other? Anybody else want to add when you hear the um, idea of passions of the flesh?
1: It wasn't first in my head, but... Money because you can buy all those things that give you pleasure. So, whether it's you know, better bottle of wine or go to the fancy restaurant or whatever, have the fast car that some people think that you could use. Yeah, what's the point? You can't use it, but to have those things that make you look get attention on yourself,
0: right? No, I agree. I think passion of the flesh could be. Uh, we actually learned this in economics class in the high school, but keeping up with the Joneses. It's actually in our book but the idea of to keep up appearances because I want to be acceptable to my neighbor or I want to seem like I'm with it you know that can be part of it I just want to I don't want to be left behind I want to be on top of things I want to be trendy I want to look like that I have everything everybody else has and so that kind of pressure could also be a desire of the flesh you call it peer pressure whatever you want to call it um, but that's certainly included keeping up with the Joneses um, and there's other things as well you know maybe just material comforts maybe you just want to be comfortable when we complain about oh I need a I need a shower head with seven settings instead of just two. Mm. (laughs) That's wrong? Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Two, that's so 1975. You know? <laughs> but we do, we do. We think that way, though. We, we tend to comfortable. So, so, and I want, I want to be fair. For all of us, the temptations and the desires are going to be different, or they're going to be aligned differently or in different priorities. But Peter's saying, strive against those. Realize who you are. Because, I mean, what does he say later on, right? They fight against your very souls. They're the things that are keeping you from God. It's your sin nature, which is why we say you're simultaneously sinner and saint. Or in Latin, simul justus et peccator. You are at the same time sinner and saint. That's a big doctrine for us, meaning that until you get to your resurrection body, you're going to be struggling with this because you're never going to achieve 100% uh, perfection in this life, which is why Christ had to do it in the first place because he is 100% perfection for you. And so you're at the same time sinner and saint. And so he's saying while you're struggling through that, Make, it's, like, it's like you're at war. You're at war with that side of you that is trying to strive against your soul. It's a really interesting thing, and we don't talk about it much in our, um, in our, in our uh, tradition, especially in sermons. If you talk to a pastor, what he'll tell you is that every sermon is, this is how we failed, but what a great Jesus we have. That's basically how the sermons work. It's law and gospel. This is how we failed, what a great Jesus we have. The idea of this kind of exhortation, now let's behave this way, we don't talk about it much in the context of a church. We do it in this setting. Like in a Bible study or in a small group, this is how we kind of lift each other up and encourage each other to those sort of behaviors. And so you can call it a strength or a weakness. I don't know. It's just the way we've always operated. And so this is why this passage, for example, he would be looking for what a great Jesus we have in the sermon. But in a Bible study, we can say, how are we doing? (laughs) Right? And we can say it a little bit differently that way, which I like. I like that about the Bible study. Aaron, do you
1: you, you see a, a, a dichotomy of, like a lot of times we talk about the, the uh, lust of the flesh, what well, I might consider the lust of the flesh for me, someone else over there, um, he needs a new tractor, he needs a new right. Mahendra, and whatnot, and I'm looking at him, I'm just saying, that that seems complex, because basically what I would consider to be uh, something in the flesh may not be, he might need that.
0: Yeah, we, we struggle with, yeah, absolutely, we struggle I'm, with different things. No, you're you're, you're correct. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to, to talk about when it comes to these struggles of the flesh and these sort of things is... There's two ways to like screw things up with your desires and we I'll use the word love just because it's easy to remember it There's two ways to do love wrong You can either love the wrong thing the right th- the right way or love the right thing the wrong way D- Does that make sense? So in other words, I might I, for example, I might have affection to my brother and I might love my brother But if I love him in the same way, I love my wife. That's wrong. That's a corruption of the love, right? I might love my wife But if I love her the same way I love my son, that's some screwed up there, right? Even though the object is correct, the way I'm going about it is wrong. Many of our desires, um, whether it's the uh, sexual ones or greed ones or um, self comfort ones or whatever it is, many of those desires are disordered, meaning that they had an original intent that have been changed, right? And so the idea is, for example, wanting companionship is not wrong. Wanting to be loved is not wrong. Wanting physical intimacy is not wrong. But when you take it out of the context of God's design, it becomes disordered, right? And so that's part of it. It's not that people have these, all of these desires are inherently evil all the time. It's that the way we live them out or when we we abandon God's designs, they get corrupted and they're pursuing wrong things. Okay, so that's kind of how we, so I'm giving you kind of a natural, this is kind of a natural law thing. Um, Again, another thing we don't talk about a whole lot, but the idea being that there's a design and a purpose, a telos, T-E-L-O-S, a telos, a design or a purpose, For everyone um, and in every aspect of our lives. And if it's misdirected or disordered, that's what brings on human suffering and disease and unfulfillment and all those things in our lives. It's that sin nature that disorders those things. We're not aligned the way we're supposed to be. And so, yeah, it's going to be different. Some people, they just need something, they need it for their own practical purposes. You got a guy that needs a car just because he needs a car. But you might not need a car because you already have five. Right, so I mean that's 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 the difference. So I no, I appreciate the comment, but, but I did want to say that
2: something just as simple as food.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. right? Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, you need food to sustain life, but there's that extra. I mean, you don't need
0: lobster. caviar. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, no, you're right, you're right. Well, and you know, this is is useful. In the Middle Ages, of course, what they did. In the Middle Ages, I was actually talking to my wife about this because I was thinking of a way to do this as like a student art project or something. In the Middle Ages, what they would do is they would sum things up with like the seven deadly sins. And the reason they did that, it wasn't because there's only seven sins. That wasn't the point. The point was, is these are useful ways of thinking. And then we have seven virtues to counteract the seven deadly sins because it's a way of living according to God's design. So in other words, for example, one of the, the, the deadliest sins is considered pride. Right. Pride's like the original sin for most theologians. And that's not just Roman Catholics. That's a whole lot of theologians. They'll say pride is the original sin because Satan says, I will exalt myself from the congregation of the north. I will be like the most high. And when he comes to earth, when he talks to Eve, he appeals to her pride. Right. You will be like gods. You know, you will have your eyes open. You know, it's an appeal to kind of that, that pride nature. Well, I want to be wise. I want to be smart. I want to be right. So pride. So the contrast <coughs> to pride, of course, is humility. Right? And so you have contrary virtues that go against those things. So lust, you have what they call charity, which doesn't mean charity isn't like handouts. It means it's a different word for love. Okay? It's charity, they say, for love. Okay? And for, um, for gluttony, you have self-discipline. Right, and so all these other things. It's so in other words, those desires inherently aren't always wrong. It's how they're lived out is the issue. Okay, and so that's, it's an interesting thing. The medieval, medieval church, I mean, had its problems. There's a reason there was a reformation, obviously. But those, those sort of categories, thinking in threes and sevens, the human brain sends to like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because it helps us think through things. And so that's one of the things that you'll hear um, counselors tell you. Um, and I'm not a counselor, but I know enough about this. Is if you have an issue in your life that's a habit or a, an addiction or a secret sin, what do you not are you gonna, do you want to give it up, but what are you going to replace it with? You'll hear that all the time. Because it's one thing to say, you know, you have this habit and this thing. What are you going to do to fill that when it's taken away because you're going to want it back? So what do, you, what do you put in there instead? It's a really interesting thing. So in your own life, I can't, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to give you a billion success stories or anything, but I'm just, it's just something that I know is wise, that if you have something like this and you're striving against the flesh, what are you going to do to replace those desires or habits or lusts or whatever they are in t- to, uh, to live according to God's design? Again, not because you're saving yourself, but because you're wanting to please your Lord and persevere. It's about perseverance in this case. And of course, we'll fail, which is why this is where the message goes to like a losing sermon. That's why it's great that we have the Jesus we have, okay? (laughs) Right, okay, uh, next section. Um, Paul has a section, so you guys want to look, somebody else want to look this up since uh, Nan ran, Galatians 5.19, Paul has a list of works of the flesh. So if you go to Galatians 5.19, Paul is famous for these lists, both directions, both good and bad. Galatians and Ephesians, right? General Electric Power Company, if that helps you remember the order. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. So if you ever get confused about the order, there you go. So we have Galatians 519. Who wants to read that for me?
1: The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like.
0: Right, so there's a whole list there. Usually when Paul makes these lists, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 is another one where you get a list like this. You're going to find one out of that list where you're like, well, wow, I've had a problem with that. <laughs> Right, because he'd go through a quarrelsome, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, idolatry. And idolatry is anything that, by the way, that puts itself between you and God. So that can be anything. Really, we're all idol worshipers, if you really think about it, because we all have priority problems. So you can go through this whole list. Um, But do you think church people, and he puts this in quotes in his outline there, might be particularly susceptible to any of these in particular? Any ideas? I have a couple, but I'm just curious if you have any. In, In terms of the church.
2: Discord.
0: Discord. I agree with that one. There's
2: always some. <coughs>
0: yep. I would agree completely. Include in our whether it's locally in your own kind of visible church, or in the or in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, the church at large, right, or between denominations. Or you mean you can go on and on and on. Discord is certainly one of those things. What other ones?
2: Dissensions.
0: Yeah, kind of related. <laughs> Dissensions is one that we struggle with.
1: Selfish ambition.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got some people that aren't necessarily in it for the right reasons, right? There are certain pastors, and, and I'm—we are blessed by our staff that we have here. Our pastors are very humble, and they—and you know—they're still flawed, Ben, of course. But they're—they're—they're they're, they're very humble about their calling, and they're um, very good about being accountable with their elders and everything. I mean, they're—they're they're awesome. Um, but you are, and there are certain churches where. There are some guys out there where it's all about the ego and I've got to make a mega church with 10,000 members and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and it can happen in a small church, too, where, man, everybody's just eating up my sermons today, right? You know, when it becomes about you and your performance rather than about God. So absolutely, selfish ambition can be a big, big, big part of it. Um, it can be, a, it
1: can be throughout the church. Oh, yeah. The idea of a country club yeah, yeah. versus a, a, a hospice.
0: Right. No, you're right.
3: What can you do for me? Type thing? go to church for what you get out of it versus
0: what God can do <laughs> in you and through you. Right, I'm going to go to that church because a lot of people there are politically connected. So I'm going to go to that church because if I go to that church long enough, maybe I'll have an introduction so I can run for office next year. <laughs> there are people that do that. They use the church that way. Okay, or there's entire churches that that's all they do. Right. And so, I mean, we can go on and on and on on these sort of, at least I think you're absolutely correct. And because I agree with you, I think in a church that's at least semi-functioning, some of these more obvious external sins, like sexual brokenness or drunkenness, those are, for the most part, not as common. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, they they happen. It's not like we're, we're immune. And they do happen in a church, but in a church that's functioning, these more kind of internal prideful sins can be even more dangerous. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, some of the internal prideful ones can lead to these other external ones because they said, "Well, it's not going to affect me, right?" Yeah, go ahead. Can you
1: talk about witchcraft because I doubt they're talking about like potions and like probably.
0: Yeah, for in the in the in the Greco-Roman world, witchcraft would have been uh, what we would call like necromancy, communing with the dead. Where they're they're engaged in ways. Uh, a good example is in the book of uh, First, uh, not First, uh, First Kings. No, is it First Kings? Or is it First or Second Samuel? Where um, Samuel, uh, speaking is, to the day, right? Where uh, Saul gets the witch at Endor. Do you guys recognize that? Uh, familiar? Somebody, if you have your phone, you can look it up. But you can give me the exact reference. But basically, Saul is not doing what God wants him to do, and so God allows Saul to go to this witch of Endor. That's all we know about her and she calls Samuel's spirit from the dead. It's a weird, weird passage. It's the only thing that happens. And Samuel sounds groggy. It's a weird, it's just really strange. It's one of the weirdest accounts in scripture, but it's this idea of kind of communing with the <coughs> dead. And so witchcraft in general, you got the reference? What is it?
3: Uh, 1 Samuel 28.
0: Do you want to read it real quick? Do you got it? Oh, I, give me a minute. Okay, you'll click like on it. No, that's good. So my wife will pull it up, pull it up, but but that's a good example. So when the Bible talks about witchcraft, this is an example of what it looks like. Um, And so usually, um, so necromancy would be a way, so you're trying to reanimate the dead or talk to the dead or deal with dead things. Um, So witchcraft has to do with those kind of forces of darkness sort of thing.
1: Where would... um... Uh, pharmacia coming in drug drug use that would be
0: I mean that could be part of the re- way you get there right because a lot of people that do that you know they're inhaling vapors or they're doing stuff like that yeah no certainly so did you find it so she's scrolling <laughs> it's a big chapter because it's First Samuel all the chapters are really gigantic because it's all one giant narrative. Um, Once she finds it, I'll let her read. Um, But anyways, another example of witchcraft in the Greco-Roman world, by the way, would be um, they would go to the Oracle at Delphi, and the Oracle at Delphi, they'd be these vapors going up through the floors, and as the woman would inherit these vapors, she'd get into like a trance, and she'd give them the counsel of the gods, you know, stuff like that. That'd be your pharmakia, that'd be kind of that sort of uh, (coughs) an state. Or it could be that, um, it could be even as simple in our context as things like using Ouija boards. To tell the future. I actually think this would exclude stuff like that. Because why would you want to, I mean, the, the what I tell my high school kids is why would you want to mess with that? You know, if there's a clear, lo- why would, I mean, what's the point? You know, it's exciting or whatever. Um, so I, I talk about this one all the time. You got it? Go ahead. Yeah.
4: Okay, so the Philistines, to sum up, have camped outside of Saul's kingdom and he prays to God and doesn't get an answer, so then he decides to go to this witch instead. And Saul disguised himself, and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray to thee, divine unto me by familiar spirit, and bring him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said to him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, and he hath cut off those who have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life, to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall be no punishment to you for this thing. Then said the woman, Who shall I bring to thee? And he said, Bring me Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why is you Why hast thou deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid. What did you see? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God ascending out of the earth. And he said to her, What was the form? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then Samuel said, Wherefore then dost thou ask me? Seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and has become mine enemy, and the Lord hath done to him as he spake unto me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to your neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore has the Lord done this thing to thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Lord shall deliver the host of
0: Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Isn't that weird? It's a weird passage. So so to give you the context, and I think the King James version makes it even sound more like dramatic, right? Um, so the idea is, is so so, uh, so Saul, so you asked witchcraft. This is a great example. So Paul says, God's not talking to me. And I like that the, the witch at Endor, this person's like, hey, I better not do this because Saul's basically, this is basically a death penalty, a death sentence. Yeah. He's driven all these people on. He's like, it's okay, I gotcha. <laughs> it's like, because it's Saul, right? And then it's interesting, because she freaks. You know, it's like she shrieks, she screams. It's almost like she doesn't expect the result. And so it's almost as if God is using this to send Saul another message. You get what I'm saying? Because it sounds like she's not quite getting what she expects out of this. Um, so it's interesting. It's a weird passage. It's the only time in Scripture that I can think of that's really that obvious that involves what we would call witchcraft. She's called, in Scripture, if you have a heading in First, uh, first Samuel 28, you'll often see it's called the Witch at Endor. Um, if you want to read that for yourself, really, really bizarre passage. Obviously, it's not endorsed, because Saul at that time is not living according to God's will. He's been rebelling against him. He's being very strong-willed, and so God says, this kingdom's not going to be yours anymore. I'm giving it to David. And Saul says, basically, he's belligerent about the whole thing, and is trying to do his own way. And so God says, alright, well, tomorrow you're going to you're going to come to heaven, basically, or you're going to be killed. That's basically what he's saying. You're going to depart, you and your sons. And, of course, if you don't know the rest of the story, he falls on his own sword because he's going to lose the battle, um, and he doesn't want to be captured. And so the whole thing is, is just this bizarre uh, this bizarre uh, scenario. But that shows you a good example of witchcraft. But anything involving uh, communion with the dead or spiritism, right, familiar spirits, I think he says it, I think, in another one.
1: Book of Acts is done anyway? Right, here he goes.
0: Participation in demonic activities. There's, I'm back in this Galatians with Paul here. Okay, participation with demonic activities, we have witchcraft, we have other things. I mean, so you'll have different translations say different things. The idea is, is anything that's involving, maybe we'd use the word the occult, anything that involves the occult or satanic activities or demonic activities, witchcraft, all those things, modern Wicca even would be another one. All of those things would kind of be in that category of, again, why would you, the question I would say, if you're a children of the light, why would you play with the dark? just from a common sense standpoint. I mean, why would you play with the dark if you're a child of the light? It just, there's no reason for it, unless you're like Saul and you're rebelling against God already. Okay, well, then it makes sense. He's rebelling against God, so he's trying to get help from anywhere he can get it, including this occultist, basically. So, yeah, it's a warning from Paul. I don't think, I mean, maybe there's church people that struggle with this in, in the context of this, this study. Um, I don't think that church people are necessarily engaged in this very much. I mean, it has happened in the past where there's some weird stuff. Um, there's a reason, like in the Roman tradition, in places like France, during the Revolutionary times, there was something called the Black Mass, where they basically did an inversion of a Catholic service, and like sacrificed a goat instead of having Holy Communion, and it was really gross and weird. Okay, so I mean, there are times in history, in Western civilization, where this stuff has happened, and because we're in a post-Christian society, this kind of neo-paganism is popular again, because it gives people a sense of identity. Um, if you go to Europe, there are people that are worshipping Odin again, did you know that? <laughs> Because it gives them a sense. And it's not because they necessarily even believe he's there. It's because they want a sense of cultural identity. And so it's very interesting. That it's back. Russia is another place where all those old Slavic deities that were really problematic are starting to make a comeback, especially in some of the more like rural areas because they believe that the church can't offer them anything, that Jesus can't offer them anything, um, that their culture is corrupted, so that they need to go back to their like pre-Christian ways to reclaim their culture. So some of this stuff's coming back. Um, there's Wiccans in Pocatello. Okay, I mean, it's just, that's just how it is right now. So it's one of those where we don't really rub shoulders with it much socially necessarily. Maybe you guys know somebody that engages in some of this, but it's a it's an issue. And of course, as a Christian, you should just simply not have a part in that. You just, what, uh, the way Paul writes it in another passage is, um, what does light, how does light fellowship with darkness? Right, what fellowship is there? There's basically, in other words, None. Okay, so just throwing this out. that was a great question, though. I w- did not expect it, but I'm glad I remembered that endor passage. That was so here
4: good. it's Nahash, in Hebrew, um, it's translated into snake. So I guess Satan. Yeah. Anyway, so I was just curious. Like,
0: well, I mean, I knew I had to do something with that. I just wasn't sure what right. the reference was back then, what that meant. So thanks. It's, yeah, no, that's great. And doing that, of course, in the Old
1: Testament, was punishable by death.
0: Right. So Saul's being—Saul's being a hypocrite. Okay. He went around killing people <laughs> for doing it, and then he goes and consults one. And then, she's like, and then she figures out who he is, and he's like, it's okay, I got you. And I was like, wow, yeah. I mean, what that does is that it shows you Saul's character. And it shows you why Saul is no longer king, is what that shows you. But
3: don't we do that too, sort of? Oh, when yeah. We don't hear from God. When we don't get what we think we need from God. We go to other things. Maybe yep. it's not a Ouija board, but it may be a psychic or... Self-help or book. Self-help, yeah, or just money or <clears whatever. <clears throat> you know, Paul
0: reader. Yeah. yeah. Tarot <laughs> cards. Yeah, I mean, we can go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We,
1: we make that void in ourselves. Then it's our nature to try to fill it with something else. Like Good you were point. Saying, you know, right place, it it's just, something else yeah. it, you have have It's in it. our nature to do that. So, yep. How do you see Ephesians <coughs> three and ten with their principalities, powers, mights? Oh, and yeah. Planets? There's a uh, there seems to be uh, adversarial in the spirit realm that that uh, we deal with that. It's just a reality. You can laugh at it all you want, but there could be a, there could be issues.
0: Oh yeah. No, and, and the Bible always assumes spiritual warfare. There's nothing in the Bible that ever is, kind of takes a skeptical tone. It's really 21st century Westerners that take a skeptical tone. Go to Africa. Go to Africa. <laughs> believers. They believe in the spirit. I mean, you want to talk about people who believe in demons. Not in them, but, I mean, believe that they exist. Go to Africa or go to India or go to some of these other places. Even the Caribbean. Yeah.
4: They're mm-hmm. still very much... Yeah, my husband's Cuban. His dad still talks about the chupacabra and all that oh, yeah. crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, and all the bad juju and yeah. all the voodoo <laughs> stuff and all that other stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, it's present. you are going to <coughs> New Orleans, right? New Orleans and yeah. some of those weird... <laughs> those weird quarters in new orleans you go to the wrong neighborhood down there there's some weird stuff that goes on down there is there and a
1: right s-
0: neighborhood in new orleans <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no it's another question but no uh, no that's a no, though. That, that's that's well spoken though i think that i mean we are we're in agreement on this stuff it is an issue but i mean even if we we get the demonic witchcraft stuff out of it cause that's so obvious for most of us but it shows you if that's the if those if, if we don't want to play with the darkness these other sins that paul lists why are we playing with those too? You know what I'm saying? So that's where it's like we're not there but for the grace of God go I. There's always some statement there where um, we all have this ability to fall and fall hard. And so that's why we abide in God's grace and we rely on his Holy Spirit to fill us and to show us the right direction. And we spend time with each other doing this because we encourage each other, spend time in the word, receive the sacraments. And we go on, on, and on. We do these things. God gives us these things because in this veil of tears, you will have issues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I think Peter's addressing that. So, no, it's, it's, it's a great passage, and it's a challenge. Okay, so let's, let's keep going here, okay? Um, what does Peter say should be our attitude towards these? Okay, it says keep away, right? So it's just avoidance. Run away, kind of like Joseph writing from Potiphar's wife, right? Just get away from me, okay? Just run away. Okay, that's a number three. When these <coughs> passages are giving free reign in our lives, what is at stake? According to Peter, this is number three, the second part of three, it's our souls. It says our very souls. Um, that's a little, I mean, if you really think about what he's saying, that's kind of scary. If, if you really think about it, that if our souls are at stake, how would we live our lives? Um, I use the example, I've, I've been on this because I've been teaching U.S. history a little bit, but of Stonewall Jackson. He's um, Confederate general, one of the more positive Confederate figures, um, and I'm not taking a side of the war or anything like that, I'm just saying that he's kind of an interesting guy, and they still study him, but Jackson was asked one time, the reason he was called Stonewall is they were like, look at Jackson standing like a stone wall, you know, rally behind the Virginians, because he's just unperturbed. There's cannon shots and motor shells and bullets firing everywhere, he gets hit in the hand, he's holding his hand up like this, and he's just, and he's just sitting there, and they're like, how are you doing this? So after the battle's over, he's like sitting next to this dead boy. This boy dies, and he's sitting there, and one of his uh, lieutenants comes up to him and says, Jackson, how are you so serene in the midst of all this death and destruction? And he just simply says something along the lines of, God has appointed an hour for my death, so I don't concern with that, and he's taught me, therefore, to be as comfortable in bed as in battle. And just very bluntly, and he said, so, you should, so I just concern myself to be prepared to be going at any time, and he's like, and if, you, if all men lived that way, everybody would be equally brave. Okay, then. <laughs> That's a great answer. And I think there's some truth in what Peter's saying here. Because I think, you know, for the salvation of your souls, the idea being that we, no man knows the day or the hour. Whether it's Christ coming back or your own death. And so always be ready. Always be prepared. That's going to be something that comes up in First Peter 3, is he'll say that about giving a defense. Always be ready. But the idea here, again, always be ready. Your soul's here, so always be ready. And I love that about Jackson. That's such a great quote. Everybody be equally brave if they just said, "God's already. God knows when he's going to take me. So it doesn't matter if I'm taking a nap or I'm fighting a battle. If he wants to take me, he's going to take me. So I just got to be ready. I like that. I think that's a great way of living. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's great advice. So... You can been teaching the Civil War in American history. It's like quoting everything there. All right, uh, next, next thing here. Um, in verse 12, what does Peter say we should be passionate about? So go back to that. <clears throat>
4: mm-hmm.
0: What should we be passionate about?
4: Living good, good. lives. Making sure we show
0: pagans. Self-control. Self-control, honorable behavior I have in this translation here, right? Li- how we live amongst unbelieving neighbors. So that's what we should be concerned about. Being a good example. That's exa- for those of you that said, yes, being a good example. Being God's hands and feet in the world. So that, when they look at us, they're like, huh. Those people are godly people. Or, and pastor, it kind of relates to Pastor's sermon today. You know, what are we known for? You know, what are we, what are we known for? So for those of you who haven't had him today, you'll understand what I mean when you go a little bit later. But what are we known for as Christians? So then when God comes back, they're going to say, you know, they'll give honor to God because they've been evangelized by us. So it's kind of a cool, it's a, it's, that's what we should be focused on.
1: Like evangelized by our action.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it includes words too, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's both and. <laughs> right, because that's the old famous one. the Everybody loves the quote of the St. Francis of Assisi, um, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Um, that's a kind of a funny, and people like to pith, you know, use that as kind of a pithy clobber verse, uh, clobber statement. It's like you're not doing enough stuff. It's like, well, you do kind of have to teach at some point, right? That's what Paul says. How can they hear unless they have a preacher? So I mean, at some point you do have to preach. But yeah it's a both and mm-hmm. It's a both and okay. It's both your actions and your words. It's they and their, and it's not, and, and the, basically hypocrisy is where you say one thing and do another. It's both, right? You're bo- doing both of those things together. So yes. Correct, yes, it's how you act. In this case, and you're right, in this, in this verse in particular, how you live would be, would be certainly your actions, and then your speech would be part of your actions, I guess, in that case. But no, you're right. I, I'm not disagreeing, just kind of clarifying. Um, yeah, next, uh, what does Peter say? Oh, wait, since most of the people Peter is writing to were non-Jews, what did he mean? Who did he mean by the term Gentiles? Um, that's what you have, and we have unbelieving neighbors in this translation, but some might have Gentiles in verse 12. It just simply means what? Go ahead and translate that for me. Just Just non-believers. That's all it means. Because, remember, he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are now the spiritual Israel. We are spiritual Israel. Okay? We're part of that. We've been grafted in. And so when he says Gentiles now, it means just unbelievers. Correct. Okay? Uh, Next one. Uh, What does Peter say is the primary reason we should be concerned about our behavior in the presence of non-Christians? Okay? It's because we're concerned about their souls too. Is how I would translate that. Right? We're doing it for God's glory for to, so that they may also honor God in this way. <clears throat> when he comes to judge the world, they're going to be saying, yes, Lord, basically, come soon. So that's the reason. Who knew that there's so much in just two little verses? <laughs> we're almost done already. All right. I want to kind of get to this next section just a little bit before we close. Um, The verse, uh, what you have for number five here is, even though we are really citizens of another kingdom, what should be our attitude toward toward human institutions? And then Paul will say this in Romans 13.1, and I'm just going to give the game away right away. He says that people rule because God lets them rule. That's what he says in Romans 13. So Peter's just, you can put uh, Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 together. And get a pretty interesting doctrine. So I'm going to read this again. This is, just, this is kind of a, um, a paraphrased translation. It's kind of a simpler version, but I don't mind it on this. Um, For the Lord's sake, accept all authority. The king is the head of state. So we just say, obey the king, right? For the king has been sent to punish all those who do wrong and honor those, honor those who do right. Okay? And it says, obey the king again. So the, po- the point here is respecting those in God's authority. And when he's writing to Gentiles, those would have been Roman rulers. And they were not always the greatest. Sometimes they were. Sometimes they were just. And, you know, Roman rule was better than some other rules. But there were still some idiots that ruled. Let's be honest. I mean, especially the emperors. Nero. Hello. Right. Commodus. <laughs> Caligula. I mean, there's a whole series of really, really screwed up emperors there uh, in the first century. And so, but then here's Peter saying obey the king. Well, how's that work? So that's where Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So that's the governing authority. So in the United States, I want to just kind of put this, plant this thought for you. Plant this thought for you. In the United States, in our context, who is the governing authority? President. The president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Constitution. Constitution. I was going to go. I was going to. This is the government teacher now. Okay. <laughs> the president actually is still governed himself by the Constitution. By the U.S. Constitution. Constitution. So you could actually make the argument that out of First Peter, submit to the governing authorities. Now, here's a, here's a real con, uh, noodle for you, okay, a little, little conundrum. What if you have the Constitution, which is supposed to be the supreme law of the land, saying one thing, and the president saying another thing, and you have obey the king. All it says is obey the king, okay? Who do you obey? The Constitution. The Constitution. That would be my answer, personally, as the government teacher. But you could see why this would be an issue for people, because unless it's directly, uh, like, say, attacking the people of God or unless that president's saying do something evil is that, our, is that the hill we're supposed to die on as Christians? I don't know I don't know the easy answer for that. This is where the conscience of every individual believer and where we talk about the doctrine of two kingdoms, the kingdom of the left, the kingdom of the right, right? They're governed differently. And so we need to walk through that. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna plant that little seed for you for Pastor Jim. I'm gonna tell him I did that on purpose. I'm gonna plant that seed for you. So that when Pastor Jim comes, he can talk about this kind of doctrine of the two kingdoms and what this looks like. Because it's tricky in our setting when you have a Congress and a president and a constitution and a court system and they don't always agree, right? That can be a little weird as opposed to the Roman government just saying, this is how it is. It's a little easier. It's a little cleaner even if you don't like it, right? So just throwing that out there. Any comments or questions before we close with a blessing here? All right. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. Amen.
3: Hey everyone, make sure to mark your calendars for March 6th at 7 p.m. That is Ash Wednesday, and we will be kicking off our Lent season. Um, At our Ash Wednesday service, we will have worship and Holy Communion and the distribution of ashes. Also, the following Wednesdays in Lent, um, we are having a soup supper hosted at the church. Um, Soup is provided. Please bring a side dish to share, and that will begin at 6.15 Also, the Grace Lutheran School annual spring auction is on March 9th at 5 p.m. at Grace Lutheran High School. Tickets are $25 a person. You can pick up your tickets at the school office or at church on Sunday. And lastly, um, Women of Grace, if you are interested in going to the Women's Retreat, we'd love to have you join us um, on... March 10th, after the 11 a.m. worship service, bring a snack to share, and we are going to chat about different ways that we can design a retreat that serves you and refreshes you and brings you closer to your Savior. If you have any questions, you can email the podcast at podcast at gracepocatello.org.